Good morning. And I hope you've had a good week. I'm going to do something just a little bit different uh, to start us out this morning. Uh, Chris and Mikey Spanberg, I don't think they're in this service, but many of you know them. Uh, this is one of, it could be their last Sunday, uh, I'll verify that later, but it's either this Sunday or next, is going to be their last Sunday with us here at New Hope. They've been here for many, many years, and they've invested in our church um, in a great way. Um, uh, Mikey has uh, led Bible studies and discipled women. Chris has done the same. Uh, just incredible people, and they're moving to go take care of family that need them. Um, and so they're kind of living out the life of Jesus in a sacrificial way. And so if you see them this morning, do me a favor. Give them a hug. Tell them you're grateful for them. Tell them as a, fa a church family, we're going to pray for them. Even if you don't know them, Chris and Mikey Spanberg, be praying for them as they make a big transition, a big move. Uh, from the place they've called home for many, many years. Um, so be praying for them uh, this week. Now, uh, let me transition this way. Have you ever had uh, a teacher in your life that made an impact on you? Show of hands. All right, the teachers in the room are like, everybody raise your hand, right? <laughs> <laughs> teachers are, are highly uh, underappreciated, and the impact they make on our lives is incredible. Uh, many of us, if you're like me, you've got vivid memories of things teachers said to you, good and bad, that impacted your life. Okay, they, they have the ability to, to, to kind of put us on a trajectory in our lives because of the influence that they have on us. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Just take a moment with someone seated next to you. And if you see someone doesn't have someone around them, go ahead and just ask them real quick. Hey, tell me or tell the person next to you who was that teacher in your life or that professor in college that made a big impact on your life. Take just a minute and do that and tell them why. When it, when it comes to teaching, um, I'm sure you guys have some, like, look, some of you are like, I'm going, I'm going. I've had, like, a lot of them. <laughs> so teachers, teachers have a tremendous ability to impact our lives. And Jesus was no different. The way that he taught had a lasting impression on the people that were around him. And he used multiple forms of teaching. Jesus could appeal to the person who wanted you to tell him straight. Uh, whose learning style was, Jesus, just be, just tell me what I need to hear. So just speak right to me. And he could do that. He could also, and you see this when you study his life, Jesus also had the ability to patiently ask questions and appeal to the listener in such a way that he drew them in. But I think one of Jesus' favorite forms of teaching, if not the most popular form of teaching in, in his ministry, was parables. These stories that drew the audience in. Because that's what a good story does, right? That's why many of us, if I were to ask you to tell the person seated next to you what your favorite movie is or what your favorite book and why it influenced you, you'd be able to, with clarity to say, it was this story, it was this movie, it drew me in because it, it taught me something about life or I could see myself in this movie or see myself in this story and it just had an impact on my life and we're eager to recommend books and recommend movies when these stories, they draw us in and they capture our heart. And the same is true with Jesus' parables. I was... Um, in a class in seminary on this very topic of, of parables and had a teacher who's had a tremendous impact on my life uh, by the name of Mark Scott, and he defines parables this way. I love his definition of parables. He says, parables are true-to-life comparisons that can leave you dumbfounded but open to the realities of the reign of God. When you listen long enough for the truth, 
of the, par the truth of the parable will hit home. What he was saying is these parables, sometimes the story didn't hit the people right there in the moment. Sometimes it was on their trip home when it hits them. That's what he was talking about. Or it could be a couple weeks later when they're experiencing something and, and all of a sudden the truth of this story hits them and they can see what Jesus was trying to communicate. He says the longer you stare at this story that Jesus is teaching, the harder that it'll hit home. And so here's our goal this morning. I'm going to teach you just for a few moments about how parables functioned. Then I want us to look at our own hearts before we actually jump into looking at what Jesus taught in this most popular parable. So let's start out this way. How do parables function? These stories that can somewhat be confusing. So I'm going to give you a few things. You can take a picture of the screen or you can write these down or just message me later and I'll get them to you. But a parable functions in multiple ways. First is this. It functions like a picture. A good story, especially the ones that Jesus told, put a picture or an image in your mind. This image in your mind was almost burned into your brain. He would use real-to-life comparisons that would immediately help you picture something in your brain. A parable also functions like a mirror, meaning these stories, they didn't just put a picture in your mind, but you could see your own life fit into the story. You could see your, your story and his story come together because of the way in which he engaged his audience. So it, it functioned like a picture, it functioned like a mirror, but it also functions like a window. See, these masterful stories that Jesus told, they gave you a, a way of looking out and seeing why life made sense. You could take this, this parable and all of a sudden, not just your life, but all of life begins to make sense to you because of the masterful teaching that you just listened to. And lastly, it functions like the punchline of a good joke. There's usually an element of surprise that hits you in Jesus' stories. And most of the time, it's a pretty personal way. Boom! You begin to see that's what needs to change in my life. I didn't see it before this. Because Jesus was a master teacher. Now, these won't appear on the screen, but parables, if you study them in the Bible, you'll see that they have multiple different purposes, too. Sometimes they reveal truth. Other times they conceal the truth. Parables, uh, they will make the truth something that you can remember. They can win or even alienate an audience. Jesus would tell stories sometimes, use parables that would win his audience, and other times it would say, no, 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 Jesus, and it would alienate the audience. They fulfilled prophecy. And they also, uh, perhaps most importantly, they laid claim to Jesus being God. It was through parables that Jesus would claim that he was God. It was a way in which he would communicate. Now, throughout the Gospel of Mark, we've, we've been told by Mark that Jesus taught. Jesus taught with authority. Jesus taught unlike all the other people that the, everybody had ever listened to before. And when Jesus taught, everybody wanted to listen, and it attracted these big crowds that came out to hear him teach. But it's here in chapter 4 that for the first time we actually get to hear a little bit about what that teaching was. Like We know he was teaching, and we know it was engaging, and we know it had an impact. But we don't know exactly what it was he was saying until we get to Mark chapter 4. And now Mark begins to give us a taste of what exactly Jesus taught. And in the content of that teaching, Jesus actually reveals to us a little bit more about why he approached teaching with parables. So look at Mark chapter 4 real quick for a little bit more about why he did parables. Look down at verse 10. And here's what he says. He says, when he was alone with his disciples after teaching this parable... And those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside everything is in parables, so that they, they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. 
I read that and I think, whoa, 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 Jesus, it, it sounds to me like you just told them that you're using parables in an effort to confuse people and prevent them from coming to know you. But that's not the case. See, the more you study and the more you come to understand what Jesus was saying, you understand that while it sounds a little bit confusing, Jesus is not teaching in parables so that people won't get it. He is saying that the listener has to listen. He's saying that I can present this truth, but if you're not willing to really listen to it, you're not going to get it. That's why he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what I'm saying. See, the Bible's not a riddle, it's a revelation. The purpose is not to confuse, but to enlighten. He says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen to what I'm saying to you. How is it that you listen and try to understand what Jesus is saying to you? Let me ask you this question. When you open your Bible, when you're by yourself, when you listen to a sermon or when you participate in a Bible study, how is it that you prepare yourself to walk into that environment to hear what God might say to you? How is it that you prepare yourself to listen? Because this is what Jesus is saying here. You have to be intentional with listening. You use it or you lose it. The more you use it, your ability to listen to him and to to clue into what he's saying, the more you get from it. So why is it that it's very difficult for many of us to listen to God? Why is it that for those of us that are, we would say, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and many of us might say, hey, I'm not a Christian, I don't follow Jesus yet, I'm intrigued, but I'm not there yet. Why is it that from time to time, season to season, it gets difficult to listen to what God is trying to say to us? And I think that it's the condition of our hearts, not the lack of clarity in the evidence that makes it hard to listen. One preacher said it this way, the same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. The difference, in effect, comes not from the difference in exposure to the sun, but differences in the material that it shines upon. See, it's not, it's not so much the sun's fault. It's not so much uh, the word of God that we're at fault here, because it's proved itself. It's really what is the word of God pointed at right now? What is the condition of our hearts? And so Jesus obscured the truth so that only those who are pure of heart could hear it. I came across a very helpful list that kind of helps us understand a little bit about why it is difficult for us to listen. Now, here's the thing. Be careful. We're going to go through multiple lists here today when we study the parable and the list I'm about to give you, and it is really easy. I say that because in forming the list and reading the other list, I immediately began to think of other people and not myself. And the same temptation, I think, will be true for you, for you to be able to say, oh, that's why so-and-so doesn't want to listen to God, and that's why so-and-so doesn't want to listen to God, instead of saying, oh, wait, that's why I've not been listening to God. And so be careful. Make sure that you're listening, not just for what you see around you, but also what you see inside of you. The first reason I think it's hard for us to listen to God at times is this. We have an unwillingness to change. An unwillingness to change. Many times we refuse to allow the teaching of the Bible to sink deep into our heart and redefine our souls because we aren't willing to make the changes that are revealed to us in that word. We don't want to go through the difficulty of having to make life choices that will redirect and change the way we've already been headed for so long. And so we say, I'm not willing to change that part of my life. And Jesus says in John 7, he says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Meaning, if you will seek to do God's will, then you'll know that what Jesus is calling you to, even when it's difficult, is worth the effort in making the change. But there's oftentimes I've come across people in talking, 
But they say, hey, if, if I could just know this, know this, and know this, then I will believe. But here's the thing. Submission to God precedes a deep knowledge of God. Knowing enough to make a change, and then the more you'll know after you make the change, and then the more you know after you make that next change, and the more you know you have a deeper knowledge, the more submission that you allow into your life, and it's just difficult. And many people say, I'm not willing to change that part of my life. The second thing is this, we cherish the sin that we keep in our hearts. We find too much joy in our sin. See, some of you are seeking God, but you have unconfessed, cherished sin in your heart. And that's why you're not hearing from him. You see, the longer we pursue our desires, our deep desires, and we give ourselves into this, or the longer we deceive ourselves, we allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking, I can live in two worlds. I can be addicted to pornography over here, and I can love my wife well over here. That I can, I can con- continue to live a life of sin and participate in all kinds of coarse joking and using bad language and mistreating people and, and, and uh, performing all kinds of hatred and even bigotry towards other people, but over here I can come on Sunday morning and pretend like I'm worshiping God. The more we deceive ourselves into thinking we can live in these two different worlds, hold on to this sin that we think is bringing us joy, and yet also come into a place of worship, the harder it is for us to see God. Psalm 66 says this, If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. If I had cherished deeply in my heart sin, then God was not going to listen to me. Another text that comes up in a study that I get to be a part of on a regular basis comes from the words of Jesus when he said this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so we have to examine what it is that we find our deepest joy in. The third is this, it keeps us from hearing God is apathy. See, some people never really uh, hear from God because they don't give attention to God the weight that it deserves in their life. They want Jesus to be a part of their life, just not one that they have to always listen to. So I don't mind Jesus being around and kind of hanging out, but I don't really want him to have all of me and I don't really want to have to pay attention to him. I don't really want to have to be all in on this church thing. I don't really want to have to be all in on this obedience to Jesus thing. I don't really want to be reading my Bible as often as I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm just kind of apathetic toward it. This one's easy for those of us who have spent much time in church. We get more and more apathetic to a personal connection with Jesus. We begin to check off of our box religious activity to make ourselves feel better instead of actually pursuing a personal intimate relationship with him. We're apathetic. The more apathetic we get, the harder it is to hear from God. Jeremiah 29 says this, When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me. This is an active, not a passive, apathetic approach to God. The third, or the fourth, is hating others. This one's big. 1 John 4.20, I recently read this with my wife this past week, and John writes these words, How can he who does not love his brother whom he has seen love God whom he has not seen? Hating other people. I I, want to make sure that we hear this. Hating other people on low levels and high levels of hatred toward other people, whether they are people that we're connected to or people that we watch on uh, news channels. When we display hatred toward another person created in the image of God, it becomes much harder to see the heart of God. And I'm convinced the more we pursue that hatred, and imposing that hatred onto other people, God will actually keep us from knowing him. Because God desires to be loved, not only to be known. And how can we, not just know a lot about God, but how can we engage in a loving relationship with God if we're hating those whom he created? 
The last one is this. We give other people's opinions more weight in our life than God's. John 5 says this. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And so we, what we do here is it's hard to, for us to see the heart of God because we're more concerned with the opinions of other people. You see this in college students many, many times. A college student, will, they'll go off to college after finishing high school, and all of a sudden they'll come home and say, I don't believe in God anymore. But you can fill in the blank. It's not just college students, friends. It's a lot of people that will say, I went and I did this thing, and I'm participating in this thing, and now I don't believe in God anymore. I've walked away from God. But here's, here's the thing that really baffles my mind, is that when they did believe in God, God, they cared more about the opinions of other people than, than they did God's opinion. So even when they did believe in God, the opinions of everybody else around them mattered more to them than God's opinion. So it's no wonder that when removed from God's opinion altogether, it begins to lose its effect. You see, it's harder to hear from the heart of God when you give weight, or what the, the Bible actually defines the word glory as weight. What you give glory to in your life will define your heart. Look, an idolatrous heart always leads to an unbelieving head. Every time. An idolatrous heart will always lead to an unbelieving head. It will always lead to us walking away. Now, we're going to take a look, a quick look, at one of Jesus' key parables. But I want us to pray. I want us to really pray this morning. Because any one of us can be caught up in any one of those symptoms of a heart that's not listening to the voice of God. That can be any one of us. Look, it's easy. I, we start going through a list like this. It's easy to think of others and so be deceived by our own heart. So let's pray together, and then we'll look at what Jesus taught about what it means to really follow him. Father, thank you. For being present with us right now. That we don't meet to go through the motions. And God, we don't meet to just talk about you. We meet together as a church to be with you. So Father, as we look at the words of Jesus, this is a very difficult teaching because it's very easy for us to get our mind and our attention off of our own heart and only focus on others. But God, would you reveal what you want to say to us in our own hearts? Would you help us examine where we're at personally in our relationship with you and God if this is a difficult moment would you help us to see your grace would you help us to to know that whatever is revealed about our heart in this moment it's revealed so that you can continue to mature and grow us God that you really love us help us to see that we pray for this in Jesus name amen listen Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky soil, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no, no grain. Another seed fell onto good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Then he said, He who has an ear, let him hear. See, Jesus tells a story. This is our first clue, our first peek into the content of what Jesus taught. He tells a story 
And he uses a real-to-life comparison for that day and age. He begins to compare what it means to follow God, what it means to hear from God, to seeds. And everybody in that culture would have immediately understood what he was talking about, but it would have been a little bit confused. See, I imagine many people coming from, from many distances, and they, they come to hear this young teacher that everybody was talking about, and they're listening, they're getting ready to hear this great sermon that's just going to be really meaningful to them, and Jesus says it's kind of like seeds. And they're like, what are you talking about, seeds? It fell on this soil and that soil, and this is what happened, and this is what I don't... Uh, and they just leave. They get home, and it's like, hey, how was the new teacher? How was the young preacher that you got to listen to? He's, he's a little out of his mind. He, he didn't really teach much. He didn't really... He used this analogy. When you picture just a couple days later, they're out in the garden, and they're working. And they go to put some seed down, and it hits them. Whoa. This is what Jesus was talking about. I've watched this over and over and over again in my life, and now he's using this analogy to, to draw in the heart of the people. Now they say, this is what it means to follow God. It means that my heart is in one of these conditions, that my heart, when it comes to relating to the Father, relating to the Word of God, which Jesus will reveal just a little bit later what he meant. He meant... Hey, the seed represents the word of God and the soil represents the heart that the word is trying to reach. And he begins to lay it out here. The word of God is going to fall on one of multiple kinds of hearts. And the question for you this morning is which one is yours? The first one he says is this. The seed falls on the path or on this hard soil. So it's hardened and it's a heart that is hard where the word cannot sink in. It cannot go deep. And many of us, we are pained by a deep love that we have for people whose heart is so hardened. I will venture to say this. I think we're in safe company that if you're sitting in this room today, I doubt your heart is this place. Maybe. But this is the the heart that wants nothing to do with it. The seed cannot break into that heart. Many of us, we think about people we love deeply and how they're not responsive and they're not willing to hear from it. But this this is the heart that if we're honest... This is where we can get to if we're not careful. We can go through the motions. We can raise our kids in church, and then all of a sudden they go away, and it gets harder and harder and harder to the point where nothing of God seems to make a difference in the life of this person. And so a little bit of encouragement to you, and we'll get to this a little bit later as well. Softening a hard heart takes time. It just does. And so this place, you've got to protect yourself. You've got to make sure your heart doesn't get so hard that all the things of God mean nothing to you anymore. And the second one, though, is this. This is the one that's a little scarier, in my opinion. He says this. Some other seed fell on this rocky soil. This is a heart that receives the word, but as soon as difficulty arises due to their new faith, their faith fails. If you go down to verses 16 and 17, Jesus explains this. He said, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Lots of excitement. I want to hear from God. I'm just so excited to hear from the word of God. I want to go buy a new Bible. I want to go buy a new journal. And then all of a sudden, difficulty comes their way, and the new Bible gets closed and put up on the bookshelf, and the new journal collects dust and never gets written in. And this relationship with God goes away. Why? Because if God really loved me, then this thing wouldn't happen. If God really loved me, my coworkers wouldn't isolate me because of my faith. If God really loved me, then the people that are around me wouldn't be so mean and angry. See, this is typical in church culture, this kind of a heart. This is the heart that says, I want all of God's blessing over my good times and my comfort, but I don't want to talk about God being holy over my pain and suffering. 
This is the heart that refuses to see that even when life is hard to the Christian, God is still good in the midst of it. This is the one that says, if God is good, then life will be easy. Not difficult, not painful. I won't have bad days. I will have money. I will have health and I will have fame. I will be well known. I will be well liked and I will be comfortable all the time. This is the heart that refuses to see that sometimes life is hard, friends. Look, as a, as a preacher, I've said this to you before, and this is a concern on my heart. I would welcome your prayers for this, but my kids are growing up in a preacher's home. Their uh, grandfather is a preacher. Their great-grandfather is a preacher on their mom's side, and so they've got this tradition, and oftentimes that can come with quite a weight. That can come with this deep uh, sense of, I have to do this in order to keep my family proud. And what can happen in the life of people that preachers' kids, but really evangelical Christian kids in this culture, is that they grow up and they begin to realize life isn't always easy. It's difficult. And if we don't give them a relationship with Jesus, instead of pressure to do what we tell them to do, this is what's going to happen to their heart. The third one is this. It's thorny soil. So some more seed falls on this thorny soil. And this is the heart that receives the word but is soon distracted and deceived by worldly things. And maybe, look, I'm going to be really bold here. Verse 18, 19, Jesus says this. He says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. Those are the ones who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And it, the seed, proves unfruitful. So, so it has this idea that I can follow Jesus and fall in love with the things of this world. Meaning, I can be a Christian and a follower of Jesus, but be obsessed with my wealth, be obsessed with my retirement, be obsessed with getting this new house, be obsessed with getting this certain kind of car, be obsessed with going to this specific college, and, and I can hinge all of my, the condition of my soul around this happening in my life. And so my real goal is to get this, my real goal is to go after this, and pretty soon your soul gets choked out because you've been so preoccupied with all of these other things and not including God in on those other goals. Look, this happens all the time. I'll sit with couples all the time. I mean, I, I, right now, this is like, you see, you're aware of the ebb and flow of ministry. This is the season where you get like, I'm doing a lot of premarital counseling, right? They're all getting ready for the summer, okay? And so I've got four or five different couples that I'm going to be working with, getting them ready for this wedding that they're going to have. And you can sit down with them and you begin to talk about goals and you begin to talk about what they're going after and you begin to see very quickly whether or not this is the heart that you're dealing with. The one is so preoccupied with the wedding they forgot to include God in the planning. The one that's so preoccupied with where they're going to live. Now these things aren't bad to give attention to, but if we begin to allow our hearts to be completely consumed by them, it will choke out our souls. The last one is, is this. It's when the seed falls on good soil. This is a heart that hears and accepts the word and produces a life Produces a life for God because of the word of God. Now, but notice what Jesus said about here. He said this good soil, that they will produce 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And so friends, let me just be really honest with you here. The thing I want you to focus on in this is this. The fruit that is produced is based on your connection to God, not your comparison to other Christians. So many of us, we have a heart that is primed, it is good, I'm ready to follow the Lord. And what happens is we begin to compare our walk with God to the next person's walk with God, and we see they're producing 60-fold, I'm only producing 30-fold. And all of a sudden our heart begins to wander away from God. 
It's not about what's produced. It's about the one who's doing the producing. And the moment you begin to look at what other people are producing in their spiritual life and compare your life to them, you are putting the burden of producing fruit on you. And Jesus was clear about this. In John chapter 15, when it came to producing spiritual fruit in your life, he said, you can do nothing apart from me. So don't worry about the fruit that's being produced. Worry about the connection to the vine that will give the life that is necessary to produce it. You have to guard your heart. When the word of God really takes a root in you, it produces a miraculous fruit. On average, in that day, a crop would produce eightfold, a good crop. So when Jesus says 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, they'd be like, okay, come on. His whole point was you can't produce it on your own. His whole point was you can't live this godly life by yourself. It is easy to know a lot about God and at the same time not know him. What is harder, what is harder is to recognize that my pursuit of knowing about him is for the purpose of knowing him and allowing him to work on my soul, work on my spirit. And what is miraculous about this is that the powerful fruit that God produces in your life is always going to benefit everybody else that's around you. You're going to be blessed with contentment. You're not going to need these worldly things. You're going to be blessed with the ability. And I've watched many of you do this as I've sat in many of your living rooms. I've watched you through tragedy and difficulty because your heart was the good soil. When the seed fell in that soil, you allowed the word of God to walk you through your darkest seasons in life. And it produced a fruit that you could not have done on your own. And many people post-tragedy, post-difficulty will say, I don't understand how anybody could have gone through what we went through without God. And the answer to that is, they couldn't. And they don't. Because only God produces 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And it's purely based on the pursuit of your heart. Look, it's a hard thing because you're like, okay, how do I do this? What do I do? God's the only one that's going to produce fruit in my heart, so how do I participate in this? And we do have a role to play. Many people will say, you, you have nothing to do. You just sit back and go for the ride. I don't think the Bible teaches that. God does produce the fruit, but you have a role to play. I like the way Tim Keller says it. He says this. He says, the gospel doesn't do something in you without you. He says, the gospel doesn't do something in you without you. You have a role to play here. I love the way Dallas Willard said it. He's another theologian. He said this, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. <laughs> I think many Christians need to really take that phrase to heart. Grace is opposed to earning. You cannot earn what grace is giving you, but you can put a little effort into responding to it. You can be intentional about the life that you're living. You can be intentional about the condition of your heart and whether or not you have ears to hear and eyes to see. What, what I mean is this. You are not called to have a passive participation in your faith. To just kind of let it happen. You are to be actively pursuing the heart of God every day. And so here's three quick things, okay? Three quick things. They're not going to appear on the screen. I didn't tell the team. I, I honestly didn't even think about it until last night. I was like, okay, what, like what does this mean for us? And so three things for you to watch your heart, okay? And these have helped me. They may not help you, and I understand that. But I, I do think if you'll listen... They will. Here's three things for you to say, okay, where's my heart? What soil is my heart? What soil is, and, and then three things that you can go and talk to other people and say, okay, you want to know how to check your heart. Here's three simple things for you to check your heart to understand what soil your heart is producing. Okay, what soil your heart is, the condition of your heart. The first thing is this, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Jesus said it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. The words you say are a direct indication of the condition of your heart. 
what you talk about, how often you talk about it, the tone in which you talk about it, and the word choice that you use to describe things indicates where your heart is at every single time. And it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. I'll remember forever David, my father-in-law's brother, so my uncle-in-law, I guess, uh, never really said it that way, but he taught, he taught that very phrase this way. He said, have you ever had a moment in your life where you, you said something and you wished the words were physical so you could catch them before they hit the ears of the person you said them towards? Anybody? You're laughing because it's like, yeah, th- this morning, right? On the way here, those words are still in the car, bouncing around the windows, right? So you wish you could grab the word. What he said is this, you, you, or you've, maybe you've thought about it this way. Man, I wish, I wish you didn't hear that. Or I wish, I wish you didn't hear me say that. He said what you're really saying is this, I wish you didn't see that. I wish you didn't see my heart in that moment because that's where it really was. I wish you didn't see the condition of my heart when I said those words to you. So watch your mouth because your words will indicate the direction your heart is headed every single time. The second thing is this, give someone permission to show you what you can't see in yourself. Be patient with this. It's not permission to judge each other. But give somebody permission to say, hey, I've got blind spots. We all do. You get in your car and there's certain things you can't see, certain things you can't understand. We all have those moments. And so have you given somebody permission to say, hey, I'm seeing some patterns in your heart that are indicating to me that the soil might be a little bit hardened or I see some things in you're allowing into your life that are thorns and they're going to choke you out if you're not careful. You got to watch this. Are you patient enough to listen Are you patient enough to to recognize that it's very rare that you're going to just chop a thorn off and it's not going to grow back? You've got to get deeper and kill the root of the problem. So have you allowed somebody in your life to point out to you what you cannot see in yourself? And the last one is what we're about to participate in, and it's communion. The Apostle Paul, when speaking about communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the same chapter where he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, he also said this, Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He said, when you come to this moment of communion, this is not this compartmentalized part of our church service. You see the sermon, the music, they should all come together and support this moment where we come and we say, okay, Lord, you have, through the word of God and the preaching of your word, you've thrown some seed. And I need to check my heart in this time of communion to make sure that the ground, that the seed that you have tried to sow is falling on a heart that is ready to receive it. And so we take communion to say, Lord, where is my heart? Where has it been? Where is it right now? Where do I want it to go? And in this moment, will I remember that it is by grace that we have been saved? We don't deserve that. So in this next few moments when we take communion, examine your heart. I mean, really examine it. Don't just grab juice and take the bread and move on, but remember the body of Christ sacrificed for you, the blood of Christ spilled for you so that you could examine your heart and realign it with the heart of the Father. Let's pray.